Our sermon today will be taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of God. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, just a clarification, too, for the 25th of December, uh, which is a Sunday, what we mean is that we don't know what type of service we'll have just because we don't know who's going to be in town. So if there's going to be a lot of people in town, we'll probably have a full service, but if there's like 15 of you, We'll do like a you know short homily or something like that. that that's what we mean. But you'll still be here uh, um, if we do have it. You'll still be here in this in this church, uh, in this location. So we'll give you more information about that. We'll we'll email you, or at least you'll hear from me by next Sunday. All right. All right. So we are now continuing our series through the Book of Galatians, and I just want to uh, apologize that I wrote the sermon on the plane in the midst of jet lag. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. Um, we're almost finished through the Book of Galatians. The whole book, we have three more sermons and we're done. You guys have had gone through the whole book of Galatians exegetically from, from beginning to end. And we may not finish this year because of Christmas and other events. We might have to finish it off next year, but that's fine if we have to do that. So just a refresher, since we've missed two weeks of Galatians, or maybe if you're new to the church and this is your first time entering into uh, the book of Galatians uh, or in the sermon series, Let's just take a second to recap some of the major details to make sure that we're studying this book in the context that it's in. All right, first we know that the author of this book is the Apostle Paul. And this book really is a letter that Paul wrote to who? To churches, to Christians in a region called Galatia. And why did he write this letter? Because he knew that the churches, the Christians in this region called Galatia were struggling with a false doctrine, a doctrine, false doctrine called legalism. The unbiblical and false doctrine that says you are saved by your own obedience. That says you are saved by what you do or by how you feel towards God. Throughout the whole book of Galatians, Paul explains why legalism is dangerous to the Christian walk. And we've seen that a group called the Circumcision Group is the one who came into this region and started preaching um, legalism. And Paul, Paul, Paul warns them against the dangers of it and how it's contradicting to the rest of Scripture all throughout the Old Testament. There's nothing that says legalism is the way we get to God. The Scripture testifies that we are saved unto God for what He has done for us on the cross. We are saved by Christ through grace 
and mercy alone. He has paid the penalty of our sin, not our own obedience. So now after four chapters of very heady argument of, of, of logic and reasoning and pointing back to Scripture and convincing them how legalism is dangerous and how the gospel is the only way we get to Christ, Paul finally in our passage today gets a little bit more practical. He tells us that hopefully the Galatians and hopefully us who have been hearing this for five months now, hopefully we're convinced that legalism is dangerous and that the gospel is the answer, not, not our own obedience towards God. He finally now tells us, well, how, how do we fight legalism? What are some practical ways we can take to combat it in our own lives? Guard our hearts from falling back into legalism. How can Christians who struggle with legalism actually fight it? experience victory from it, both as individuals and as a church community. And I hope our passage today is informative for Christians, but also for non-Christians. If you're here today and you just wanted to know more about Christianity or wanted to figure out what Christianity is all about, I hope that this passage can help you do that, as God, through it, points all of us back to the main thing of our faith, which is the gospel. There's four things I want to point out from the passage today. One is the dangers of legalism. Two, the way we fight it. Three, the way we identify, the way to identify progress. And four, the power to fight it. The dangers of legalism, the way to fight it, the way to identify progress, and the power to fight it. But before we enter into our sermon, let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit to truly reveal what you have said in your word in this passage to us. There's a lot in it, and Father, there may be too much for us to really chew and swallow today. Um, but as much as you desire for us to catch, let us capture it and let us be affected by it um, as we move on about our lives, realizing the dangers of legalism and passionately fighting it. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your word, and I beg you for more mercy as we dive into a pretty complicated passage um, um, as we know how to fight something that is very dangerous to our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number one, the dangers of legalism. I want us to remember, first, why Paul is fighting legalism. He's not fighting legalism just because he likes to nitpick and fight. Neither should we want to combat legalism because we enjoy to argue and fight about theological details, which I presume a lot of Reformed Christians maybe enjoy a little too much. We fight against legalism because legalism is in direct opposition to the heart of Christianity. Paul fought legalism for that reason. Jesus Christ himself, the cross itself, is being threatened by the false doctrine of legalism. What do I mean by that? The heart of Christianity is the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the blessed truth that God in Christ came to pursue sinners and died on a cross to pay for our sins, which separated us from God. And this is the only way sinful man can get back to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets through the Father but through me, Jesus says. The ultimate motivation for us to fight should be fueled by our love and commitment and adoration of the gospel message. The blood of Christ, the grace and mercy that is dear to the heart of God and should also be dear to our hearts, the only way to salvation, the only answer to the ultimate problem of sin, the gospel. 
In this first point, I want to point out a few things from our passage that talks about the dangers of legalism in connection to how it kills the gospel message, the message you and I should love very much, how legalism is in direct opposition of, opposition of it and is dangerous to it. Now, as I talk through some of these symptoms, some of you might feel or remember once feeling some of these symptoms in your own lives, even as Christians, or maybe you're in it right now, or maybe you're experiencing in the future. These are all symptoms of legalism. Let's, let's go through them and see what they are. First, legalism makes our spiritual life feel like slavery. Look at verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not submit to the yoke of slavery if you struggle with legalism like, like me, like I do. Our Christianity often can feel like slavery can it? Spiritual disciplines feel like a heavy burden that we have to bear. The pursuit of God and the pursuit of holiness become a mere duty for us to do without much delight in it. Why do we often feel this way? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them, I I would say the biggest of all, is because we have fallen back into legalism. We have fallen back into the treadmill of performance, associating our obedience as a prerequisite for God to love us thinking that God's love for me is dependent on what I do for him, or, or for many of us, thinking that God's love for me is dependent upon how passionately I feel about him. It's based on our strength, our efforts. This is legalism. And this makes our obedience, this makes our passion for God a heavy burden to bear, Because then obedience and passion for God becomes a currency that we have to earn to gain his approval. Instead of it being something we get to do as a response to his goodness and grace. Number two, legalism makes us compare our spirituality with others. Look at verse six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The circumcision group came into Galatia and They came in pompously, pridefully, with their chests open, saying that we are obeying all these Old Testament rules, including circumcision. We are obeying all these Old Testament laws. You, unspiritual, disobedient, non-Jewish people, you are less than us. Legalism makes us compare our spirituality with others because our personal accomplishments and efforts are the ones that bring us closer to God. That's what they would believe. Do we struggle with this? Do we often compare ourselves with other people, especially with other Christians, feeling a sense of pride when we find ourselves more patient or more kind or more giving than other Christians, or feeling a sense of pride when we feel like we're more passionate than other Christians, or no more theology than other Christians, and feeling inferior, feeling less loved by God, less cherished by God, when we feel like we're less obedient and less fruitful than other Christians. This is legalism. Third, and continuation of that, legalism prohibits us from loving others, prohibits us from loving others well. Look at verse six again, but to the end this time. Circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We can't love others well if we're so focused on beating them. We can't love others well if we're consistently comparing ourselves with them. Maybe questions like, why are they given this position at church? Are they more spiritual than me? 
Why is her life journey easier than mine? I know for a fact that I read the Bible more than her. Why does she have a boyfriend and I don't? Right? As if our obedience to God is meant to be a bargaining chip for him to advance our personal agendas. This is legalism. We can't love others well if we consistently compare ourselves with them. Fourth, legalism makes us doubt the security of our eternal salvation. Verse 5 says, I eagerly wait the hope of righteousness, Paul says. He said that we have a hope of righteousness. There is a future hope that we are waiting in which will come. Christians have an assurance of salvation, a future hope of righteousness, a future hope of glory. Because your salvation is founded upon the cross. And as we read in our statement of faith earlier, it is solidified upon the grace of Christ alone. But let me ask us this. How many times do we doubt our salvation? How many times do we think that we can lose it because we are not doing certain things or feeling a certain way about God? Thinking that God gives and takes away salvation depending on how passionate or how committed I am to him at a particular given season in my life. This is legalism. If you're like me, some of the things listed above may seem all a little too familiar. The lack of desire and joy in obeying God. When obedience becomes something we have to do to appease God, and as if his, his love can be traded with our obedience. It kills joy and obedience. Or maybe you have a tendency to compare yourselves and spiritual maturity with others and the pride that you feel and wells up when you feel like you're better than others, or maybe the inferiority or the despair that comes about when you don't feel like you're better than other people, making it impossible for us to love them well. Or maybe for you, it's the exhaustion of never being certain about your eternal state. An exhaustion of never being certain about your eternal salvation. You feel secure on a good week, but then you, when you fall into sin or you're not feeling as passionate for God, you start doubting whether or not the blood of Christ is still effective for you. As if the effectiveness of the blood of Christ is dependent upon your power and strength. If you're like me, you struggle with these things. These are all dangers of legalism. And friends, it is unlikely that we'll experience freedom from all this if we don't wage war against it. If we just sit idly and not intentionally fight these legalistic tendencies we have in our hearts, we'll fall into it over and over and over again. As proof that legalism is something that's hard to shake off, we've been in this Galatians series for about five months. For five months, every Sunday, you've been coming and you've been hearing about legalism and the dangers of it and how it's unbiblical and the gospel and how much Christ loves you, and how much he will never let you go because your salvation is dependent on him, not on you. And then on community groups, when you go, a lot of us do sermon discussions. And there we are again reminded of the gospel, of Christ's love for five months. But are not the symptoms I mentioned above still very familiar to you and to me? It's just so hard to shake off. It's going to remain there. Just being a Christian alone doesn't guarantee the shaking off of these legalistic tendencies that we have. 
We can't just sit idly hoping that these symptoms will magically disappear. Remember who Paul's addressing here. He's addressing Christians. Look at verse 11 and verse 13. You'll see Paul address them as brothers. Brothers is a term specifically used to address other believers who are in Christ. He's saying, believers, I know you're Christians. I know that you're in Christ. But you have struggles of legalism. You have those symptoms. This is what Paul means in verse 4, that sometimes Christian brothers can be severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Christians can be severed from Christ, can fall away from grace. Now, Paul didn't say you can lose grace. Okay, the Bible's clear. Again, you cannot lose grace. You can't lose something you never earned. It was given to you. We can't lose our salvation. But just because we've received Christ, just because we can't lose our salvation, it doesn't mean that so often we forget it and live our lives as if we didn't have it. We are severed from Christ in a sense. We are fallen away from the truth of who we are in Christ. Someone I know, a friend of mine, adopted a child. This child's parents, uh, biological parents, one of them left her because uh, uh, she was a drug addict. The mom was a drug addict and left her alone under the care of the father, who was also a drug addict, who eventually died from overdose. My friends adopted this child and realized that in the past, as her life with these um, uh, uh, parents who are addicted to drugs, she wouldn't be taken care of well. She wouldn't have water or food oftentimes. So what she would do is she would uh, scrounge around in trash cans to look for food and look for water because she doesn't know when her next meal will come. After my friends adopted her, she has plenty of food. She has plenty of water. She's given her meal three times a day, maybe even more sometimes. But one day after school, the teachers caught her scrounging around in the trash can. The teachers caught her still looking for food and water in the trash. She's adopted. Her status as my friend's child didn't change. But she still thinks that she needs to live her life as if she wasn't adopted because what's objectively true just sometimes take a while to sink into our hearts, doesn't it? She was looking for food and water in the trash when objectively she is a child that will receive water, that will receive food on the table as appropriate for her. This is similar with a Christian. We will never lose our status as a child of God. But don't we sometimes live our lives as if we have not yet been adopted? We live our lives falling away from grace, believing in legalism. This suffocates joy. This enchains us back to slavery. Even when objectively we are free and will always be free we often forget the majesty of the gospel. This is what Paul means in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's done. He set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Believe in who you are in him. Rest in it. So let's move to our second point. How can we fight legalism? Okay, the way to fight it. Paul gives us two categories here of how to struggle and fight against legalism so that we can find joy again in our Christian walks. There's two types of struggle. One is internal struggle, and two is the external struggle. Let's start with the internal struggle, okay? To fight legalism, we must first look in the mirror and see that it's actually something we're guilty of. The problem, the enemy, isn't ultimately out there. The problem, the enemy, is in me. 
is that my own heart, my own legalistic tendency, my own tendencies to forget who I am in Christ. So how do we fight legalism internally? By always keeping our motivations in check. We see this in verses 2 to 4. Every time we obey God, every time we want to do something good for him, Paul is saying, check your motives. Ask yourself the question, why are you being obedient? What's the reason behind your obedience? Often our legalistic hearts want to make obedience about earning points. Another friend of mine, a different friend, and I promise these are true stories. I'm not like just making up. <laughs> Another friend of mine had a son, and he played Little League ba uh, basketball. Little League, Little League basketball is uh, a basketball league where kids of the age from five to seven or five to six play basketball against each other. And it's not really a serious game. No one really wins or loses. They're just there to have fun. My friend's son, who is really competitive, at one point of the game, made it inside the free throw line. And he threw the ball with both of his hands as best as he can. And out of nowhere, he made the basket. No one expected it to happen. He didn't expect it to happen. They're all like, oh, you made the basket. They're all excited about it. And then after he, was, he made the basket, he looked at his dad and he was so happy. And his dad was cheering for him. And yay, good job, son. And then he looked at the scoreboard. And there's nothing on the scoreboard. It wasn't even on. It's not, meant to, it's not to win or lose. It's just to play. He didn't get a point for his accomplishment. He was confused. He was actually upset. He almost cried, I think. He wanted a point for his accomplishment. I did this. I deserve a point. No points. And he said, that's not fair. I should get a point. What he doesn't realize is, in order to get that point, if he really does want to talk about fair, he actually broke about 20 basketball rules getting that point. He traveled like 20 times. He went out of bounds like five times. He double dribbled like 50 times. I don't even think he dribbled. I think he just like held onto the ball and just ran to the side and like threw it, you know? All he saw was the ball making into the basket, and he wants a point. He doesn't see all the rules he broke trying to get it. You want to talk about fair, then you must earn the point with all the rules obeyed, not just one. You can't just break all the rules and do one or two and be like, where are my points? This is what Paul is saying in verses 2 to 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You're not taking advantage of your adoption. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. He's telling the Galatian Christians, he's telling you and I today, you can't just be circumcised or obey a few Old Testament commands and then look at the scoreboard and demand for points. Like my friend's son who made one basket demanding for a point. The point system doesn't work that way. You have to obey all of it. Your motives while doing these acts of obedience must be pure. Um, a friend of mine shared a story. I've, I've shared this before, but I think I'll share it again because it's appropriate. Every time before this person comes up to preach, he's, he's a pastor, every time before this person comes up to preach, he tells me that he prays to God, Lord, forgive me for I'm about to sin. Before he comes up to preach, he confesses to God that he's about to sin because he knows that even in his preaching, his motivations behind it isn't pure. There's so much self-centeredness in it. There's so much self-glory involved in it. There's so much desire to make the spotlight point to the preacher and not to Christ. Before he comes up to preach, he says, Lord, forgive me for I'm about to sin. 
If you want to earn righteous points by your own effort, you got to be able to obey all of them. You can't double dribble. And you have to do all of them with the purest of motives. That's impossible. Hence the cross. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, every man who wants to go by the point system, that he is obliged, obligated to keep the whole law. Be careful when demanding justice from God because you think that you've been good. You have, and I have, no idea how patient God has been with us. We have no idea how even in the midst of what we think is our greatest and most righteous acts of obedience, it is filled with sin. My most righteous acts are like filthy rags, the prophet Isaiah said. Always be aware of your motives when you obey. Fight the temptation to be back in the point system. But also notice, in order to keep our motivations right, we also have to obey. Obey him. Be obedient. Don't wait until your motives are pure before you obey God. You'll end up waiting forever. Be obedient. Do it now. But even in the midst of impure motives, be aware of it. Just know that there are parts of this acts of obedience that isn't pure. Lord, help me. Lord, purify it. And that's the way we fight. Legalism. Okay, second type of struggle. Legalism is not something we fight only internally as we are obedient to God and aware of our motivations in our obedience, but legalism is something we fight externally in the church at large. Legalism is a real threat to the church. Many people, including those who claim the name of Christ, don't believe that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. They believe that salvation is gained through what they do, through what we do. They struggle with it like us. But often, what is preached in the pulpits those who claim to be the messengers of the Bible hold up the Bible and they say you are saved by your obedience. That is not okay. Paul is particularly angry at these people and he uses harsh words against them. There are probably some words that shocked you when we read the passage earlier. Verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's a strong word to use. Verse 9. He warns the Galatian Christians to remove them from fellowship because a little Leaven leavens the whole lump, saying that if there's a little bit of, of this in you, it will spread. Remove them from fellowship. Now, does Paul mean that we're supposed to throw out every sinner from the church? No, of course not. Does Paul mean that we're supposed to throw out everyone with legalistic tendencies from the church? No, of course not. If that's the case, then we all need to go right now. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is referring specifically to the group of people who we see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, who were secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery. There's a group of people, their circumcision group, that manipulatively came into the church and tried to manipulate the whole thing by saying you're saved through your obedience. These people specifically is, what Paul, is who Paul is referring to. They're the ones who are recipients of the harsh words. But even then, he wasn't directing the harsh words to all of them. Look at verse 10. He's not saying to remove all the people who came in with manipulative intent, but specifically the ringleader, referring to the one main guy. Look at verse 10. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The one guy, the main guy that's controlling all this, he will bear the penalty. I hope that he would sever himself. Oh, he would emasculate himself. He would, he would be removed 
from the fellowship. Singular, one person, whoever he is. So, to truly experience victory over legalism, it's not enough to fight it internally in our own hearts. We also have to fight it externally in the church at large to protect her purity and her peace. Not by being cruel by kicking out every sinner. Not by being cruel by kicking out everybody who has legalistic tendencies. You have to kick me out right now. Not by being cruel by even kicking out those who might have manipulative intent. Speak to them, talk to them, rebuke them if, if need be. And if they're not causing too much ruckus, I think there's no need to do that. Paul's referring specifically. You must be direct. You must speak up in a bold manner against those who hold up the word of God, claim to be its messengers, but preach legalism. Those who hold up the word of God and say, if you do this and that, God will give you this and that. Speak up against them. Those who preach that you must earn, you must work to purchase blessings from God with the currency of your obedience, speak up to them. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's not okay to hold up the word of God and preach something that is directly against the heart, the epicenter of the Bible itself, which is the cross of Christ. So let's recap. One, we've seen the dangers of legalism in our first point. In our second point, we've seen how to battle against it both internally and externally. In our third point, how can we know that we're winning the battle? How can you know that you're actually making progress in this fight against legalism? What's, what's the measurement here? Number three, the way to identify the progress. I pray that if we fight legalism faithfully, internally and externally, in our hearts and in the church as a whole, lovingly, kindly, but do it boldly, I pray that we'll experience victory over it, that we'll find back again the joy meant for us on the gospel, that we'll find back again the joy of obedience and, and won't be too worried about comparing ourselves with others and have an assurance of salvation. But sometimes it's hard to tell, isn't it? How have we progressed in, in, in this battle against legalism? It's hard to tell because you can't really measure it. How, what is, how can I get the sense of, of when I'm winning? And here it is. You can measure that you're winning against legalism when you begin to sense an increasing desire to obey the law even when you, quote-unquote, don't have to do it. You will know that you're progressing against legalism. You will know that the gospel is gaining land in your heart when you have an increasing desire to obey God when you, quote-unquote, don't have to do it. This is what I mean. Verse 13 to 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. You're free, but do not use your freedom for the flesh. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. See, in Christ, we're free. Our obedience, our disobedience no longer affect our salvation. Our passion or lack of passion for God or whatever it is that we find salvation in apart from Christ has no hold on you. You are saved. You're perfect in him. The cross has washed away all our sins, past, present, future. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor future, nor anything that's in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38, 39. We're set secured. Our sin 
not in part, but the whole, as we've just said. But free to do what? It's very easy to use this freedom to fall back into sin, isn't it? Why wouldn't we? If our obedience no longer affects our salvation, why should, why should we serve at church? Why should we obey God? Why should we give to the poor? Why should we just lie and steal and cheat and murder? Our obedience has no effect on our salvation anymore, right? Why not? Because the gospel frees us from the legal demands of the law, yes. But at the same time, the gospel gives us a fierce and brutal love for other people. Look at verse 6 again. For in Christ Jesus, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I'm going to read 1 John 4, 10 to 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The love for God and the love for others, this is what guides us to not abuse grace. I'll explain in a little bit. What, what motivates us to obey God's law is no longer slavery to the law. It's no longer fear of punishment if we don't obey. There's no more punishment. It's been paid by Christ on the cross. What motivates us to fulfill God's law is because we have a love for others that's also produced by the gospel alongside our freedom. Why should we serve at church? Not to gain more salvation points, but because we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. Can I just brag on the CCC servant team right now? They come here and they serve every Sunday, and they practice sometimes on Saturdays, and they give up their time. Why not to earn points from God? Well, their motives, like mine, are impure. We know that, okay? Mine is probably more impure. All I'm saying is that I actually convince them, I tell them, don't serve this much. Serve less sometimes. But they still want to serve. Why? Why would they serve at church? Why would they set all this up? Why would they set the chairs up? Why would they come in an ungodly time at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning? 7.30. Why? They love you. They want you guys to have an opportunity to worship. They're not obeying it to earn points. That's what guides us to not abuse grace. Why should we refrain from lying? Why should we not steal from others? Why should we not cheat? Why should we not murder? Why shouldn't we bite and devour one another, like verse 15 says? Not because we're afraid of losing salvation points, but because the gospel makes us love our neighbors as ourselves. We serve at church, we sacrifice for others, we give to the poor, we want to obey and fulfill the law of God to not lie, to not steal, to not cheat, to not murder, not to earn or keep salvation points, but because we now in the gospel have an increasing love for others and for God. That's what drives us to fulfill the law of God. That's what drives us to obey, not the fear of punishment. The fear of punishment no longer exists. Verse 14, for the whole law... Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder, don't commit adultery. The whole law, you would do all that if you just loved your brother as well. You wouldn't lie, you wouldn't steal, you wouldn't cheat. That's the new motivation for the Christian. You can tell that you're experiencing gospel victory over legalism when you not abuse the freedom you have. When you feel this weird desire to still obey God, even when your salvation isn't affected by your obedience the desire to fulfill God's laws because your heart is so captivated 
by his glory and by the flourishing of others. Not as a barter with God. Has this been true in our own lives? Have we experienced an increasing sense of freedom from the legal demands of the law, which is one part of the gospel, but have we also experienced a freedom and love for others so that we don't abuse this freedom, but use it to love others well? This is true spiritual maturity. Because to see God glorified and to see others flourish has become the reward in itself. It's not a trade point system. It's not a barter system. This is the sign of somebody who's been delivered from sin into eternal life, from darkness out of light, from bartering with God to truly loving him and others. That's why we obey. And this becomes the new purpose of our Christian lives, the glory of God and the flourishing of others. You know the one question I, I always get? I've gotten this question more than any other question combined in my full-time ministry, ever since I've done full-time ministry. And it's this question. What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? Why am I here? There it is. That's God's will for your life. To love his glory and the flourishing of others, even when it's costly to you. That's God's will for your life. For God's name to be glorified and for other people from, to benefit, even when it costs us. That's... That's the result of true theology. No, God's will for your life is not for you to be rich. It's not. He really doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. What he cares more about is whether or not the gospel has led you to use that account to obey him, driven by the love of others. Even when giving your money away won't make God somehow bless you more. No, God's will for your life is not for you to be more famous. It's not. He really doesn't care how much earthly popularity you have. What he cares most about is how you use whatever influence you have to obey him, driven by the love of others. Even when influencing others towards the gospel won't add to your spiritual points. Stop bartering with God. Stop living in legalism. Fight it. Wage war against it, internally and externally. And you'll find yourself to becoming the kind of person that finds joy in obeying God even when obedience to him does not advance your personal agendas. Even when it does not add to your quote-unquote blessings. Even when it does not expand your business. Even when it does not increase your income. Even when it does not grow your popularity and affect the status of your salvation. It's not a barter system but you'll find yourself to becoming the kind of person that finds joy in obeying God, finds joy in fulfilling the law because it simply glorifies him and benefits others. For when you become this kind of person, you will find true joy. Blessed is this man, for here is found true shalom. You want peace, you want shalom, you want joy, be this kind of person, fight legalism. This is how you know you're experiencing victory over legalism. When you become the kind of person who loves to obey God, driven not by barter, driven not by a trade point system, but by the love of his glory and the desire to see others flourish. Okay, before our last point, our, our very brief last point, let's recap again. We've seen the dangers of legalism, why it's dangerous for us. We've seen how to fight it internally and externally. We've seen the way that... Um, um, 
um, we can measure the victory in our lives up against legalism, which is being the kind of person who obeys God even when we don't get our personal agendas advanced by, by that uh, obedience. But we haven't talked about the main thing. The main thing that will keep us in the fight, where do you find the power, the strength to fight legalism, both internally and externally? This leads us to our last point. The power to fight legalism. So, hopefully, throughout the whole sermon, we've seen what Christianity is all about. It's about the gospel. This is the purpose to all of life. This is the accumulation of the whole Bible story, finding our way back to our creator, who we have been separated from because of our sin. And he has made a way, a way that's not paved by our strength, not paved by our passion and our obedience, but paved by his blood shed on the cross for us. We also see how legalism is, direct is in direct opposition of this message of gospel freedom. But legalism is so deeply rooted in our lives, that we just said. It's so hard to fight against. We've gone through five months of preaching through Galatians, but all the symptoms of legalism we talked about in point one still is everywhere to be found. What if, what if I struggle with legalism till I die? What if my motives never really purify that much? What if my love for others really don't increase that much and I'm still selfish? What if I try to fight legalism, but I'm always on the losing end? What if my desire for obedience always goes up and down because I forget the gospel so often? Is there hope, is there hope for me? Friends, if your hope of salvation is still found in your ability to fight legalism, then you're still thinking in the point system. You're still doing the point system. When listening to Andy's sermon last week, uh, the guy who, who uh, the pastor who preached uh, for us, he said something very good. He said, the fact that you're struggling at all tells me there's spiritual life. The fact that you're even in the fight tells me that you're in Christ and you're battling your sin. That's great. The ones I'm worried about aren't the ones who struggle. They're the ones who don't struggle. Those are the ones I'm worried about. The ones who don't care about fighting legalism, the ones who don't care about keeping their motives in check, the ones who don't see their lack of obedience and, and their sin and their lack of love for others, those are the ones I'm worried about. If you're worried about these things, great. I am too. If you're fighting, struggling legalism, welcome to the kingdom. And you have a hope. Oh, believe me, you have a hope bigger than what you can ever imagine. If you've received Christ as Lord and Savior and you've truly accepted him and him alone for your salvation, then I have 100% full confidence in the midst of all your struggles, even when you're in your lowest valleys and lowest humps, even when you ultimately sometimes really feel like you have lost his love. If you have received him, I have 100% full confidence that you will not lose him. Why? Not because I'm confident in you. Not because I'm confident in me. I'm not really that confident in any of us. But I'm confident in Christ. Let's look at verse 8. Where is Paul's confidence found? How can he know that these Galatian Christians will at the end not take any other view? I have confidence in who? In the Lord, that you will take no other view. Will I lose my battle against legalism? Oh, yes, you will all the time. But that's why our confidence isn't placed in our own strength. It's placed on the Lord. And how can we have such confidence in the Lord that you will never lose him? Because he has purchased you on the cross. He has died for you. He has set you free. And there no longer remains any punishment for our sin. It's been paid by him and him alone. 
even at your lowest of lows, even at the deepest valleys of legalism, even when your passion and obedience for him almost seems non-existent, when it's choked by legalism, even when your love for others are dying because you forget the sacrificial love of Christ, even when you fall into comparison, even when at times you doubt your own salvation, you doubt your eternal security, and you're surprised of how weak your fire can be for Christ. I have no doubt, if you truly are in him, I have no doubt that at the end of the day, you will never be separated from him because of him. I have confidence at the end of the day, you will have victory and you will take no other view, not because of how strongly you're holding on to him, but because of how strongly he's holding on to you. That's how I know. That is just how strong his blood is. Our sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. Our victory is not based on our strength. Stop bartering with God. Stop. Instead, remind yourself of the gospel. Fight legalism. Find a love for him and others. This will push you to a deeper level of obedience that you may never knew you had. I'm going to end with a quote uh, by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Jones, a, a great preacher in the 1900s, and this is what he says up against legalism. And then we'll, we'll pray. He said, to make it quite practical, I have a very simple test. After I have explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, now, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once I know that I've been wasting my breath. They're still thinking in terms of themselves. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough. But it's actually very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say, he is good enough and that I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you're denying God. You're denying the gospel. You're denying the very essence of the faith and you will never be happy. You think you're better at times and then again you will find yourself not as good at other times. You'll be up and down forever. How can I put it plainly? It doesn't matter if you have almost entered into the depths of hell itself. In Christ, you are justified all the same. You are no more hopeless than the most moral and respectable person in the world. Let's not barter with God. Let's leave it to him and trust and rest in him that our salvation is secured and find a love for others that transcends what we've experienced in the past. Let's pray. Father, what a mercy, what a gospel. And what a sinful heart we have that forgets it over and over again. I beg you, Lord, that you remind us of this and that even in the midst of our disobedience, even in the midst of our sinfulness, even in the midst of our lack of passion for you, we are reminded of the glorious and the strength of your gospel, of your mercy. Help us, Father, to not let this message be callous, to not be forgotten. And Lord, give us a love for others because of your love for us, that we will not abuse our freedom, but use it for the love of your children and of other people. Lord, let this be motivated and powered by the sacrificial, costly love that you have given yourself. It was free for us, yes, but it cost you a whole lot. And let this be the motivation of why we give 
our soul, our life, our all to you. Love so amazing, so divine, that even if the whole realm of nature were mine, it would be an offering far too small. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.